Welcome to our newest adventure for first responder wellness. No one fights alone. In-depth conversations about mental health and culture in the first responder space. We're joined by your co-hosts, Austin Pedersen and Brad Shepard. Austin, we're still out here in California. Got that nice marine layer going. It's cool. There yesterday. It was actually a beautiful drive. So we're in Oceanside, California, and drove down here to meet our new friend, Dina Kale, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist. Welcome to the No One Fights Alone podcast, Dina. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming out on, uh, joining me on my vacation here. This is That odd. is actually the greatest part. You're <laughs> willing to let us invade your personal vacation time. Oh, it's, and let me tell you, it is absolutely beautiful. You have picked a great place. Isn't it to, gorgeous? Oh, it's yeah. beautiful. And you know, I'm, I'm living the dream. Like I, 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 I feel like I'm always on vacation. Like, so you guys are here and, and, oh, I don't want to upset your vacation. I'm like, no, I literally love what I do so much. I don't need a break from what I do. Like, this does not work for me. This is fun. This is what I'm passionate about. This is what I'm designed to be doing. This is my purpose. And that's, oh. that's rare, right? Like we just were talking about this is you, when you find your purpose in life and when you find something that you're passionate about, it's not work. And I mm-hmm. think it's what 90% of people don't have that in their life. Wow. They, they don't like their job. Ugh. You know, getting up and going to work in the morning is, is something they, they absolutely hate. So it's, mm. it's wonderful to find people that are like-minded in the sense of we've, we found something that we like to do. Right. Something that we care about and that actually impacts other people as well. Right. I mean, it's not sustainable to wake up every day hating your job. I don't know how people do it. It's a pretty sad life. That's why most people are in a sad state. So, mm. Dina, I know you and I, we've spent some time uh, visiting as new friends, but uh, tell the listeners a little bit about mm-hmm. uh, who you are and what you do. Mm-hmm. Tell us about what your passion is. All right. Well, um, so I am a former cop wife turned cop shrink. Um, this is what I was born to do. This is what I've always wanted to do. And uh, it, it took a little bit to land on this, of course. You know, as a kid growing up, I didn't always want to be a, a cop therapist. I didn't know that existed. Um, so growing up, my grandfather was a chief of police of the town I grew up in and uh, just absolutely admired him just to no end. I wanted to marry a, da- a man just like my grandpa. Um, just tall and handsome and command presence and kind and warm-hearted and loving. And I mean, he was my grandpa, right? And um, and so I was very confused when many years later I told my mom I was going to marry a cop and she cried. She's like, don't do it. It's the worst mistake of your life. They're all cheaters and alcoholics. And I was like, hold, hold, hold on a second. Are you you're talking about my grandpa here? I don't understand. <laughs> that had to have been a difficult conversation. It was, it was tough. Mm-hmm. It, it was tough. And I was really surprised. And at first I thought she was just sort of joking and she was very serious, but you know, her, her experience growing up, um, in a law enforcement family was very different from my experience growing up in a law enforcement family. You know, I didn't know. Um, I, I did, I, when I was removed, of course, you know, I didn't live with my grandfather after, uh, you know, the first couple of years. So, um, yeah, it was challenging and I didn't understand what she meant. And I, I, of course I said, you know, Oh no, mom, he's different. You don't know. And you know, the joke is I'll listen to your mother. They're always right. But truthfully, you know, my, my ex-husband was a, a 
fantastic husband, fantastic cop. We're, we're great co-parents. We've been great co-parents for the last 11 years. We just graduated my daughter. She's going off to college next oh, month. Congratulations. congratulations. Yeah. Thank and you. we just got to meet her lovely, lovely daughter. <laughs> She's wonderful. I'm not ready for the emptiness. Let me tell you. So, um, yeah, the, the moment it hit me of what I wanted to do and where I knew I was headed was watching Lethal Weapon in the movie theater. Uh, 1987. I am so dating myself. Uh, I wasn't even old enough to, to, you know, to be in college yet, but I'm watching this movie and I see, you know, this chick that's trying to get Greg's into her office, you know, cause he's suicidal and jumping off of buildings with, with suspects and whatnot. And he, she's like, you need to come talk to me. You're not doing so well. I'm like, what does she do? I want to do that. What's that job? Um, and so I always knew that this was my goal. Um, but I didn't really have a specific timeline on it. I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't, I didn't know exactly when it would happen and I, it was okay that it was taking some time. Um, so I went to college, um, and I didn't go back to graduate school until my husband, I, my former husband, who was a cop for 10 years, um, uh, quit law enforcement because he got injured on the job and was just sort of a wake up call. Like, Oh gosh, I, d- I don't know that I want to do this for the next 20 years. Um, and he always wanted to be a veterinarian. So I sort of, I'm the, the cheerleader that I am. I said, let's you know, we'll go back to school, like become a veterinarian. So for six years, he, he went back to school, became a veterinarian. And when he graduated, I said, okay, my turn, let me finish, uh, my, my schooling and get my graduate degree. And, um, and then work here. And I learned about um, uh, the organization that I ultimately joined from him. His his department had a shooting, and he said, hey, this this chick came out and talked to us. I think this is what you want to do. I'm like, give me her card. And I held it, and, you know, like 10 years later was when I joined uh, the Counseling Team International and joined um, uh, Nancy and her mission to support first responders. I've known Nancy a long time. She is an amazing, fascinating human being. I only hope to be half the woman she is. Just amazing, amazing woman with her passion and her heart for this population, you know, extends mine. Like I, I thought I had the most passion, but I found the woman that has my passion. How many lives do you think she's saved through uh, directly, indirectly through what she's built out here? I mean, you almost make me want to cry. I'm sure thousands. Yeah. It's got to be unbelievable. She has moved mountains in this community. Moved mountains. Yeah. yeah. 40 years. Yeah. 40 years ago, this type of service and support didn't exist. Yeah. You know, and she just boldly went through those doors and said, hey, you need some help. <laughs> you know, she founded, co-founded ICISF, you know, and just this year in the, at the uh, conference, she got the co-founders award and it was such an honor. She had no idea she was going to be getting this award. And they were like, Nancy, can you please come up to the stage? And she's like, oh, my God, what's happening? I said, I don't know, but I'm going to video the whole thing. <laughs> wow. What a great human being. Amazing. Yeah. Well, so clearly your passion now has resonated. Uh, I think our listeners now can hear the, the and and almost feel the passion coming through because of, of just this short conversation. But I really want to dive into uh, a topic that's we've we've struggled getting connected on some of our podcast stuff and I'm that's why I'm so excited about this podcast. I want to talk about some relationship stuff for the first responder community which is really difficult to have conversations about and that's your passion. So I what 
kind of lead us down that path. What what have you seen? What are some of the what are some of the challenges of a first responder relationship out there? Yeah. So um, I'm smiling as you're as you're setting up this question because I can remember uh, the first couples that I worked with. Um, you know, 2011 is when I when I joined the counseling team, and um, I had an opportunity to serve so many different agencies and see so many people. Um, through those agencies. And so some of the early couples, it became a theme that um, the wife would drag in the husband, you know, that, and forgive me, I know not all cops are, are men, but in this case, and in, in my experience, the wives would drag in their husbands and basically look at me and say, fix him. Something is wrong with him. You, he needs therapy. And by the end of the session, I'm giving her a once over. And I'm like, listen here. This is what you need to understand about his job. This is what you need to understand about what he does all day. And he would be doing a heck of a lot better if he had your support. If you joined this mission with him, this is a calling. It's not a job. And if you jump on board and join this calling, join this mission, you wouldn't be having these problems. And that was a pattern over and over. Well, you guys looked at each other. That was funny. Yeah. <laughs> over and over and over again. And um, there were times that they wouldn't come back because she was so offended. There were other times that they came back and she was like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. No one has ever been so bold to tell me this before. And uh, I'll be that one. I'm bold. <laughs> well, there's not an owner's manual to this, right? Like right. that's you, you jumped in right where I was going to go into is like, how's that feedback received? Because I don't think anyone says, Hey, this is, you know, uh, the noble profession that these people are taking on is going to cause issues eventually in, in one way or another, whether it's time spent or, you know, uh, other things. And I, I find it so interesting that it kind of went one way or the other is what you're explaining, right? Like they either really embraced it or they totally turned it away and couldn't believe that you said that. So diving into that, you have two different perspectives. You have the ones that say, this is not about me. This is about him. And I want to, I, I don't, I don't want to pick on the spouse mm -hmm. alone, No, of course not. but these are difficult conversations. These are hard conversations. And in order to, to, to heal or really even have any growth, you really kind of have to dive into both sides, if not advocate for the relationship itself, which are those difficult conversations. There's and, the key advocating right? for the relationship. Right. You just said it. Yeah, absolutely. So, so when I say that, what, what, mm -hmm. what comes to mind for you? What comes to mind is they're in this together. Not one person is the proverbial identified patient, as we would say in, in therapy land. Um, there is no identified patient because this is a system. You're a family system. This is a couple. This is a partnership. And if you're pointing fingers at your significant other saying you're the problem, guess what? You're the problem because aren't you on the same team? If we're on the same team, then we're not pointing fingers at each other, right? And uh, you're right. I don't want to pick on spouses, and I certainly don't want to ever communicate that um, they're bad or wrong. I guess I'm I'm wanting to impart that it's a team, it's a it's a partnership, it's a relationship, and in order to advocate for that partnership and that relationship, you got to get on the same team and approach any kind of support services, therapy, coaching, counseling, whatever it is, approach it as a team. 
What can we do better? What can we improve? We need your help to improve. We we're having these issues. Let's break them down. You know, how can we get better in this, in this area? So I think for the purpose of, of this podcast, just to kind of give a, a, a maybe lay a, a little bit of framework, we in the podcast get to spend a significant amount of time on the first responder side. So if we can actually focus a little bit of time today on the spouse side, I think that would be valuable. So, so kind of, kind of teeing that up to say, you know, we're not necessarily picking on the spouse today, but we're affording the conversation to the spouse that oftentimes we miss, or we don't have the expertise amongst us in the podcast to do that. Is that fair? I I think so. And also too, like from the family systems perspective of the first responder culture, like family is very, very important. Am, Am I wrong? Oh gosh, no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. In fact, family is so, well, so the family system, let's say the familial family system is absolutely paramount and foundational and important for the first responder and the first responder family becomes sometimes more important and more valuable than the familial family system, right? Because who are you spending more time with? Who's backing you on calls where your life is at risk, right? Who Who's out there and who gets it? And I think that's the the big um, separation is the blue family or the first responder family gets it and the familial family, right? Your family at home, your spouse, your, your kids maybe don't get it. And I think that's a problem. That's the problem. They need to get it. And, and so, you know, I definitely appreciate focusing on the spouses a little bit more because I was a spouse. I was a, a cop's wife and I, I learned what that is and I couldn't get enough information. Tell me more. Tell me what that's like. What does your shift look like? Oh, so you go to the station and you change, like learning everything. I didn't know I was brand new and going out to dinner with, um, his partners and their significant others and talking to them. And what's that like for you when you get that middle of the night call when they're supposed to be home, you know, um, And she's like, oh, you know, we've worked out a code or dispatch, you know, always the first words out of their mouth is he's fine. I want to let you know that he's held over, you know? Um, so I dove into the culture as I'm in this with you, help me bring me into the fold, help me understand all the pieces. And, you know, this is where boundaries also have to come in with regard to what the spouse feels comfortable hearing and what the first responder feels comfortable sharing, you know, for me and, and my cop spouse, um, I, my line was pictures. I'm not going to look at any pictures and he would always want to show me pictures. <laughs> oh, look at this. It's just so cool. It's so cool. Nope. Nope. I can't look at pictures. I get enough of a visual listening to you. I don't need to see the pictures as well. You know, we talk, um, doing some of the crisis intervention work that I've done. We talk a lot about, communication and specific to how to communicate some of the gravity of those calls, which is, you know, talk about the impact instead of the details. Um, but if you were actually to, let's just say, let's throw out a, a little bit of a open-ended, um, uh, 
conversation starter, which is what are maybe some of the top issues that you see uh, in your office or maybe the community that you, you know, you work in with, with these wonderful therapists that, you know, uh, what are, maybe let's start with the top one. What, what is, what is like, this is the one, this is the one that is a hurdle almost every time. Anger. 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 Aggression. So not, not just having anger, but the way the anger comes out in aggression and irritability in, you know, fussing at the kids or, or, you know, stepping on, I might, I use this proverbial, you know, step on a Lego and want to burn the house down, you know, just the, 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 um, experience doesn't fit the, the expression, right. Yeah. You know, it doesn't match. It doesn't match. Right. right? Yeah. Um, it's, and it's because they are so tired. Their capacity is so limited. You know, they have just spent 12 hours on shift um, dealing with the public and doing calls and maybe seeing some really horrible things, uh, moral injuries. Um, you know, they have been just beat to the socks and then they come home and they're met with the home, the challenges of home. And that's not to say, you know, home isn't allowed to have challenges. It's just to recognize that's what comes up the most is anger. You know, he yells or he's so irritable and cranky or we're fighting a lot more or, um, the, yeah, the aggression, you know, arguably this is the, there's two versions of anger, uh, as I understand it. One is true anger and the other is a masking of something deeper. Is that, am um, I onto something there? You or? are onto something. Yeah. So the way I look at it is anger is an expression and we might not know why. Right. So there's something underneath uh, as the driver. Um, I kind of look at anger as a limited capacity. So rather than, you know, oh, you're a bad person because you're so angry all the time and you're so aggressive all the time. It's, oh, what's going on? What's what's going on for you that you're so short tempered and you're so quick to anger? Like what's happening? There's That's a symptom. In, in my opinion, that aggression is a symptom of a bigger issue. So it's not necessarily that there's two different kinds of anger. It's I look at it as a symptom and we might not know what the cause is. But do you think it's a natural reaction for people to say, oh, they're angry. Maybe something else is going on or it's no. very reactionary, <laughs> right? Like we are reactionary people. And I think we fall into a pattern of we take out those emotions and those feelings on the one that, that, that are closest totally. to us. Totally. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's one of those that we, we struggle with as a society as a whole, oh, right? Yeah. It is that, you know, people yeah. see one version of us and then our families see yeah. a completely different one. Yeah. My daughter and I have a, have a, a new sort of language around this with, if I, um, react a little harshly or she reacts a little harshly, we say, what's wrong? Did, what's happened to you? <laughs> what, what happened to you? <laughs> so instead of like, what's wrong with you? Why are you acting like this? It's what's hap- what, ha- what happened to you? <laughs> Did you have a bad day? <laughs> what's going on? You know, we sort of giggle and that's our message. Like, okay, that was aggressive. Yeah. Like how you, you responded right out. there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But that's been successful in what I've seen be successful in relationships is yes. that exact point where it's almost like a code word or exactly. something where it's like, I know something's <laughs> up with you. Like, let's take a step back. Right. But, right. but people don't have that. A lot of people don't. But if you take that from a, you know, a, a 
first responder, a cop or a firefighter, you know, that's coming home exhausted and in that angry phase to a family, now a spouse who's had a really rough day as well, you don't have that timeout framework in your brain. You're, you bitch at me, I'm coming right back at you. Mm-hmm. And then you start this kind of cycle of, mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. negativity. I mean, that's a, yeah. <laughs> that's a very happy word for, for what happens. <laughs> well, and I think the way to encourage more skillful relationships, more skillful responses in relationships is having that agreement from the beginning. You're going to check me and I'm going to check you. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is how we're going to do it. You know, do we put up a timeout, you know, hand gesture? Do we do a, you know, Hey, cut it off, you know, gesture. Do we, you know, put the hand like pause for a second. Hold on. Do you, do you want to try that again? <laughs> right. 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 Uh, well, and you brought up an interesting uh, point that we don't often talk about on here as well, which is boundaries. I mean, those are, those are not fun uh, conversations to have. I wish I would have known about those when I started and known the definition, truly a functional definition of what boundaries mm, were mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. physical, mm-hmm. emotional, yeah, spiritual yeah. level, relational yeah. levels. Yeah. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on the, on how to have those conversations establishing boundaries? Gosh, you got to have it. I think there's a misconception or a misunderstanding of what boundaries are. You know, people hear boundaries and they say, Oh, like you're keeping me out. Actually boundaries are designed to protect the person on the inside. The boundaries are for me. I'm protecting me and therefore I need to set this boundary to protect me. We can look at boundaries around, um, you know, just day-to-day operations. I have a boundary, a hard 10 o'clock bedtime, you know, yeah, there's some flexibility here and there, especially on vacation, but that's a boundary that I have put in place to protect my sleep schedule. That's important to me. Um, same, same with the 10 AM start time. (laughs) (laughs) I did. I did jokingly send a text to her saying, Hey, we'll be there at eight AM. He said, are you ready for us at 8 AM? I said, no, I am not, but I'll be ready at 10 AM. <laughs> that's the perfect response though. Right. right? Like that's yeah. a, that's a response that some people who, and I'm included in this, who don't have boundaries, uh, sometimes in our work life, right? Yeah. Uh, like when my phone rings, I, I feel yeah. the need to answer it yeah. because I'm afraid that maybe someone's in crisis, whatever right. it may be. Sure. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, my response <laughs> may have been to Brad. Okay. See you then. Like, honestly, that would have been the response and uh, zero, yeah. zero boundaries. Yeah. And Oh, believe me, it, it has been a work in progress for me. I mean, I think that we come square in the face with boundaries when we're desperate to, to figure something out when we're desperate to make it happen. Like I had to learn about boundaries Um, when I was facing my own burnout, I couldn't keep saying yes. I couldn't take one more client in crisis. I couldn't take one more crisis call. I couldn't take because I was burnt out. And now I'm not, you don't want me if I'm so burnt out. I'm not going to be any good to you if I'm burnt out. So I have to protect me for you. I have to protect myself so that I can show up better for you. So if we overlay that on a first responder, let's just do a fictitious um, um, relationship. If we overlay that on the first responder side, you have uh, a first responder who's so passionate about his job that he doesn't know how to say no. So he's volunteering for whatever may come down that he's passionate about, whether it's a specialized unit, motor, SWAT, 
uh, gang, you know, whatever those things. Yes, this I love this. I'm making a difference. Then at home, you have these boundaries that are being crossed over, which are, okay, you keep coming home mad, and I'm going to keep letting you do it because, um, you know, I, I, I think it's better than me confronting you or, you know, I'm going to, we're not going to go to date night or we're not going to have these, uh, birthday parties because you said you're going to have to work. So we, we just continue to move that boundary line back. That's really, it's non-existent. That fair. <laughs> it, it, right. Yeah. Very fair. So, yeah. so thoughts on that? I mean, I just built a little bit of a fictitious, uh, scenario there. So, so the, the question is what, how to have boundaries when there aren't yeah, any tell, walk or us how through, to, walk us through yeah. what your thoughts are on, mm-hmm. on, uh, mm-hmm. maybe the listeners are, are listening and saying, okay, how do yeah. I do that? Yeah. Or how, yeah, how, yeah, do, yeah. I, or okay. how do I gain okay. back, back ground even? Right. I, I hear what oh, you're saying yeah. yep. mm-hmm. and I want that ground back. Yeah. You can, and you can gain it every day. Every day is a new day. You know? Yep. I know that we have always operated like this. However, um, for, 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 for now or starting today or from now on, when you um, are drunk and belligerent, I'm going to leave the room or I'm going to take the kids and go to my mother's, right? There's the boundary. I love you. And when you become drunk and belligerent, I'm going to take the children and we're going to go stay in a hotel or stay with my friends or whatever. There's the boundary. That doesn't mean I don't love you. Doesn't mean you can't be drunk and belligerent. You knock yourself out. The consequences are I'm going to go. I'm going to take, Right. 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 And, and so then the boundary would look like this, right? Let's, and and this is how both partners would, um, face it. So we've got first responder spouse that wants to take this new assignment or this new collateral duty, use our team, SWAT, peer support, even, you know, any kind of collateral duty or additional assignment. And, and, Maybe it's for promotional purposes. Maybe it's just building the, you know, the next levels up to promotional purposes. And he goes to his wife, right? And says, um, you know, I'm looking at this opportunity and it's going to require some sacrifices. Um, I would really like to do it. And then she can say, well, tell me more about that. You know, what, what does it look like? What are these sacrifices you're talking about? Does this mean I could be called out at any time, day or night? And then having this conversation, is she willing to join this, right? This new assignment. Okay. You know, babe, if that's, if that's important to you, I want to support that. So does that mean you'll have the phone next to the bed? Does that mean you could be called out at two in the morning? Um, you know, what does that look like? And then now she has to decide, is this something I can sign up for? And if not, you know, how can we flex here? Cause what if he's like, absolutely not. I have to take this assignment. If I want to be promoted, I have to take this assignment. It's already been communicated. I have to do this. And she's like, Oh, great. I don't want to sign up for this. I don't want to do the sacrifice. I don't get a say, right? She does get a say. And I would hope that they would become a team in this and, and, and look at the bigger picture. You know, it's a short-term sacrifice for a longer-term gain, right? Maybe the timing is not right. Maybe she's got, you know, two little ones at home and she can't do that by herself. Or I, I don't know, I'm trying to come up with just any other options that might be in place. Well, maybe she works and they don't have childcare, let's say, or don't have family nearby to cover in those gaps. Um, so, so it starts with a conversation. This is what I want to do. This is what it will require. This is what it's looking like. 
will you join me in this? You know, can we, can we do this together? Um, more about boundaries. I mean, it, so, I mean, what I'm, what I'm hearing is the first step is probably communication because that's something that's missing is they're, they're not having in-depth conversations about things. It's, it's a very black and white thinking process, which is here's the decision. This is the result of the decision. It's not a conversation of like, well, what are your thoughts on this? Well, it can be. I, I would hope that it would be. Yeah, they, they, that's what they need to start doing. Correct. Is what I'm saying is, yes. is right, a lot right, of right. the times there <laughs> is that black and white thinking. You're right. And there isn't the inclusion of the spouse, which then mm-hmm. the spouse starts to get resentful. Sure. As well, that they're not included in on their life. Yeah, like, oh, hey, I didn't sign up for this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think if we work backwards from that a little bit, the, the communication process is a first responder. I know me personally... There's a, there's a carryover things happening at work that I would just say this needs to be done and it's automatically done. And I think there's a very unrealistic expectation that when I go home, I say it at home and nothing gets done Uh or there's (laughs) a debate, which I would perceive as an argument. Sure. Sure. It it wasn't, that was not at all what was happening but my perception of it was an argument why yeah why am i getting this why do i have to debate about (laughs) what we're having for dinner i mean or you know something simple i'm I'm, I'm exaggerating obviously but but yeah something right does it oh yeah and i'm i'm so big on expectation management yeah (laughs) let's let's talk about your expectations because here's here's the deal if I'm annoyed or frustrated or angry or debating you now, I clearly had an expectation, didn't I? Right? Mm-hmm. And we didn't, we're not talking about those expectations. And it's okay to go, you know what? I really expected you were going to come home and be in a good mood, and you're not. And now that's sort of thrown me off. I'm going to need a minute. I wasn't prepared. I wasn't prepared for, how for this. bad you're actually treating me right Sure. Now. Right? Right? Um, and, and the expectation management of, you know, when I come home and you haven't lifted a finger today or, or I'm, it's my perception is you haven't lifted a finger today and the dinner isn't made and and the house isn't clean and the kids are all feral and right. My expectation was I was going to come home to this serene rainbows and unicorns home and it's not that way. So yes, I need to check my own expectations, but also I want to communicate that to you because maybe I came in hard charging and being a jerk to you because I expected things to look different when I came home. So related to communicating that process, if I come home, how does one, well, again, we're working backwards. So that's worst case scenario. That's where some, but it's not that far removed from what actually happens on a daily basis in most first responder homes. Right. So, so coming home from the first responder, we talk a lot about that side of the house as a spouse. How do we both communicate and have realistic expectations or maybe even a backup plan, if you will. I know that's not probably a good therapeutic viewpoint, but the reality is, okay, I want one thing, but I could have asshole Brad show up in the door. Mm -hmm. Now what? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you, you, are you asking from the spouse's perspective, what can yes, I absolutely. as a spouse do Yeah, let's give, let's give them, let's mm-hmm. have some conversations yeah. about what some of those things 
could look like or maybe even should look like from for a spouse mm-hmm. helpful to the spouse saying mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how do i handle this mm-hmm. he's a, he's an asshole yeah 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 now what okay you this is how it starts right you come in the door and you're barking orders right mm-hmm. whoa 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 what's going on what what is the barking of the orders babe what's what's happening why are you so angry what happened to you <laughs> thinking of my daughter. Yeah. Right? What, what happened hap- to you? What happened to you? <laughs> um, <laughs> and you know, maybe he's just pushing through, right? Ra 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 ra. Okay. Maybe you need a, some time to decompress. I'm sure you had a rough day. I as well had a rough day. Um, so I'm going to just remove myself. So we're not arguing here. Uh, we're not going to get anywhere. When adrenaline goes up, cognition goes down. So if we're up here in their emotions, we're not thinking clearly, and we're certainly not going to have skillful responses, right? So let's pause. Let's take a minute. Let's come back together. And sure, are we going to go, dude, why are you being such an asshole? Yeah, that's probably going to happen. That's probably going to happen, right? And he's going to go, why are you being such a bee, right? Right. All right. <laughs> now we can recognize, though, that's no good is going to come of that, right? No good's going to come of that. That's a, that's a black <laughs> hole conversation right there that I've had many times. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So it does require somebody to have some wits about them to say, whoa, time out, pause. Like, we can't keep going like this. We're clearly at each other's throats right now. We're clearly not responding in the most uh, skillful way. And maybe we should just take a break for a minute. And, you know, and it, here's, here's some resilient characteristics that all of this requires. It requires insight. It requires the person to go, yeah, I am kind of being an asshole. Oops. It requires some flexibility, right? She has to recognize, whoa, okay, I I guess I need to, we need to flex some things here. Like I kind of expected you to be coming through the door and ready for us to go out to Johnny's baseball game. Like I needed you to like be ready. I need you to take the baby while I go do my hair, whatever. Right. Cause we need to get out the door and that's clearly not going to happen. All right. Let's have some flexibility here. It's another resilient characteristic. How can I do that? What can this look like? All right. Well, we might just have to throw some Lunchables in a sack and head out, throw my hair up in a ponytail and just go. Or we might leave dad here cause he's being an asshole, whatever. You know, flexibility, flexibility, yeah, yeah. because I I keep keep hitting on it because going back to what I was saying earlier, that rigidity and the black and white thinking is very common, very. And, you know, this takes practice. Yes, it does. And so like for me, I'm like, oh, that sounds all pretty (laughs) easy, right? Or or somebody may think that that sounds easy as well. (laughs) And And it doesn't work like that. There's trial and error. Yes. And there's yep. conversations yep. and flexibility. There and times it where it doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, you, oh, you for sure. Miss the mark. Absolutely. Yeah. And when we miss the mark, here's another important piece. If we are in a relationship and our whole goal is the preservation and investment in the growth of our relationship, then it's going to require some oops. I'm sorry. Let me try that again. What I said was hurtful, and I apologize for that. I, I, I recognize I can't take that back. Um, and I don't want to speak that way to you. Right. Um, so it requires a level of humility and, and the ability to ask for forgiveness, apologize, and also, uh, you know, humbly apologizing when we need to. Right. You know, I think it's important to note here. Um, I, I say this a lot in my training classes, this is not, giving the first responder an endorsement to act badly. 
this is about understanding. So we're talking about very sensitive things that really could, you know, hit a passion button for somebody out there that say, fuck that, you know, he's just an asshole. The reality is there is some understanding to be understood. You must first understand that's, that is the um, entirety of the conversation piece. It's not an endorsement to act badly. No, of course not. And well, and here's the brass tacks, right? Well, you're married to the asshole. So how do you want to sustain this relationship? Right. What are you going to do? Right? <laughs> Let's, right? When something's it comes right, change. something's got to change. So you got to do something different unless you want to keep getting what you've always got. Right. Then keep doing what you've always been doing, right? Keep it up. Absolutely. But if you want something to change, you want your relationship to improve, it's going to require some changes. And that's why, what is it, 80% divorce rate? It's because the acceptance yeah. of change and the acceptance mm. of, of putting a lot of work into something is very difficult for people to fathom. There's wounds sure, that sure. have developed over absolutely. You know, years oh, and years that absolutely. are very hard for people to overcome. Yes, yep. I re- and, and here's the, I think it's important to recognize, validation has to happen. You know, I can't, I I certainly don't want to invalidate someone's anger and hurt and resentment. And I certainly don't want to minimize that either. Let's say he's been coming home for 10 years, treating people like crap in the home, right? And she's like, excuse me, what am I supposed to just take this now? And I'm supposed to be flexible and I'm supposed to bow down to him. And no, no, you're right. You have, he has not treated you well. And here's another piece of responsibility What's been your contribution to this? You've let it continue for 10 years. You've stayed here now for 10 years in this pattern. And I get it. Maybe you didn't know that things could be different. Maybe you didn't believe that things can be different. Maybe you didn't recognize what power you did have to walk away, to step out, to say, I'm not going to listen to this kind of language at me, or I'm not going to listen to this tone. I can't hear you when you're speaking to me like this. Maybe they didn't have those skills or tools to be able to do something differently. So I guess bottom line is I don't want anybody to feel like they're wrong or they're invalidated or I'm minimizing the, the pain they've endured. Gosh, no, not at all. But the reality is to what you're speaking is this, this doesn't just occur overnight. This is, mm-hmm. this is something that takes a long time to, yeah. then you wake up and you you realize I don't enjoy where I'm at Yeah. now. How do I get out of this? And yeah. I, you know, I think we've had some really mm-hmm. good, really good key points in this, which is, you know, establishing some boundaries, establishing some, mm-hmm. uh, things mm-hmm. that are advocating for yourself, uh, mm-hmm. as a spouse mm-hmm. as to what you will and won't accept. Um, you know, having realistic expectations of, of what, what is going to transpire, what you want out of it. And I think oftentimes, um, spouses i i'm not there so i'm maybe speaking out of turn here but i i often think spouses find themselves in somewhat of a victim uh, mentality mm-hmm. like i i don't have a say and i don't mm-hmm. i don't i don't get mm-hmm. to, to to have any input as to where this relationship's going and mm-hmm. personally i want to advocate for those people and sure. say you know what are those mm-hmm. what are those strategies that we mm-hmm. can help here mm-hmm. on this mm-hmm little podcast yeah, yeah. Of, of what those kind of things are. And I think this is a great conversation for it. So we've been speaking to spouses. Uh, let me, let me frame out a little bit different question. So if a spouse looks at this, um, um, kind of the totality of their relationship and says, well, I need help. Um, and maybe seeing a 
therapist would help um, because I, I, I hear that a lot. I've heard that a lot through, you know, my work in this Welch community that going to a therapist is going to heal, uh, but we have to go together. Um, what are, what are some conversations that would be beneficial to a spouse saying, I'm going to go for me. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to go. You have any thoughts on that? The kind of, yeah, that makes sense where I'm going with this. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm a big fan of individual therapy. Um, however, individual therapy is not couples therapy, right? So I'm only going to get your experience, your side of the story per se, um, I'm only going to get your perspective. And so I can only work with that. I, I don't know. You might be painting a picture that is, but that's your experience. So I have to go off that and I can give you tools and, um, ask you some challenging questions and offer you some, um, suggested reading material or suggested, uh, perspective shifts. Um, certainly seeking support is going to be in there too. find your people. You know, are there are other spouses that are, if you're a spouse of a, of a, of a first responder, there's other spouses of first responders that are also challenged with these same challenges. So find those people, um, meet together, you know, have communication, support each other. So big fan of individual therapy and it's only for the individual. I can't do couples therapy with an individual, right? So when the couple comes, they are now my unit of treatment. I'm not picking a side. I'm not, um, aligning with one or the other. My goal, my whole goal is to help and support and provide treatment to this couple. Um, and it has to be looked at from the lens of the relationship. So there has to also be a lot of, um, expectations first. Like what is your expectations for the relationship? What, what are you expecting to get out of therapy? You know, and this is what I hear a lot. Well, I'm expecting you to fix him. Oh, we're not doing that here. <laughs> we're, you, you came to us as a couple. How can I help you as a couple? Expecting you to fix us. Right. Right. I, right. I don't love in, in therapy. I don't like that word fix because I don't believe that right. people are broken. I don't believe people are broken. Um, they are not broken. But that is right. such a common word. It is. Used. It is. Yeah. I think the expectation that you need to set in couples therapy is huge because... Mm-hmm. I don't think people realize how much work it takes. It takes a lot and of that work. An hour a week is not enough. Is not enough. Absolutely and it's, not. The real work starts. Yeah. The rubber hits the road when you leave the office. Right. And right. you have to right. enact all of these principles yeah. and these understandings and you know these modalities and yep. these these coping mechanisms. Yep. And frankly, I like coaching for couples better because it allow it affords me more. Um, tools. It affords me more, um, direct guidance and goal setting. Um, it's less, but, but it takes a particular type of couple. So not every couple is, um, um, at the level of coaching. They, they might need be at the level of therapy, right? There might need be some significant, uh, challenges, some significant, um, things that aren't working going on. So there has to be, um, so the difference between therapy and coaching is therapy. There is uh, discord in the, in their life. There is something not working. They are, they have a high acuity, right? They need a lot of help and support. There might be some abuses going on. There might be, um, some, um, significant negative coping patterns, um, 
relating patterns, things like that. So it takes an assessment first to determine, are we at the level of coaching or are we at the level of stable? So therapy is stabilization. Coaching would be growth, right? Are we ready to grow the relationship or is there quite a bit of stabilization that needs to happen? That's a great definition. Yeah, yeah I was thinking the uh, same yeah, thing. Because I didn't know. Yeah. Like, That's the you difference. answered the question that was going on in my head of like, well, what is the difference there? Because yeah. there's there's a lot of different organizations that provide coaching or therapy mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, mm-hmm both of them together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, and and I do both. So as a coach, I have to, and thankfully I'm a therapist, so I can fully assess, is this person at a level of needing stabilization or that are they at a level that they're ready to grow beyond their foundation, right? There has to be a foundation and some stability before we grow. Um, It's kind of like, I think about, you know, pro teams or football teams or, right, any kind of sports teams. You have to be at a playing level, to even be on the team, right? And so if you're at, you got on the team with this certain playing level, if you're at the point where you don't know how to throw a ball or catch a ball or hit a bat, then now you're going to require some therapy, right? We need some stabilization to get you ready for the next level of growth. Is that a good analogy? It makes, it makes great sense. So, uh, and, and I wish we had all day because this is, this is great. So as we, I'm going to, I'm going to tee something up for you and give you the opportunity. If, if, if there's something messaging wise that we haven't talked about that you want to put on the table, I want you to think about that. But, uh, I, I think it's important to note, um, that the description of what you just said is really important to the understanding of, of therapeutic services, which is mm-hmm. if you're going to individual therapy, that mm-hmm. therapist is advocating for your personal growth. Period. If you're going mm-hmm. as a couple, the therapist is advocating for the, the relationship, exactly. which oftentimes I know personally, I used to think I'm going in there and they're fixing me. I'm the problem when the reality is that there is an important piece uh, for a lot of people. Cause I've talked to a lot of people who have that mindset of, mm. okay, I'm going in there and I'm going to be the problem. It's going to pick on me. Mm. And that therapist is not, that's not, Mm-mm. that's not their intent. Oh gosh, no. Their intent is if they're an ethical therapist, their sure. unit of treatment is the couple as a relationship couple. Well, and we're talking mm-hmm. about culturally competent therapists. I mean, we yeah. advocate for that yeah. all the time and obviously, yeah. uh, you yeah. know, there's therapists out there that are mm-hmm. n- maybe not as good, but if you're mm-hmm. culturally competent and equipped, then it's safe to say generally yeah. that they understand what mm-hmm. that is, is mm-hmm. going to be about. Yeah, yeah. And, and back to the beginning when I said, you know, I get I end up giving the spouse a once over, that has more to do with education. Sure. And from the first responder, right, culturally competent lens therapist here, I'm recognizing a deficit in understanding and a deficit in education. And so I am giving the spouse a once over saying, Do you understand what goes on in their shift? And sadly, like they don't. Right. The, the spouse has maybe been so good at protecting them. And I get it. That's the goal. Right. I want to protect my spouse from the garbage that I see on the job. OK, but you didn't give them enough information to be able to support you. Right. They need to know what it's like for you. What do you experience? What what how do you come home? What's your nervous system like? What? Uh, anyway, I digress from your question. No, I, it was it was more of a, a of a follow up to the point you made, which is the that relationship or marriage therapist yeah, yeah, is advocating yeah. for the team yes, yes not one yes. not the other correct uh and if they're picking on you it's because you're part of the dysfunction of the team mm-hmm, uh, to the greater mm-hmm. good of sure. advocating for that relationship so right. we have a little bit of time left i, I i'm going to circle back to some of these concepts so we had some great concepts of 
know, communication and boundaries and expectations. What have we, what mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. left off the table that maybe we can squeeze in here from a standpoint of just advocating for that first responder relationship? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Is there, is there anything else that, that maybe another topic that you think this would be a good hot button conversation to pass on to our listeners hmm. in the growth of their relationship? Well, there's two things that come to mind as sort of top of the list. Uh, one is sex and the other is alcohol or alcohol abuse or even substance abuse. And I think, I, I think that was your question was like, what is the, the, the biggest issue mm -hmm. or what is one right. of the big issues that's, that's dealt with. And alcohol abuse is a big one. It really, really is a big one. And it probably doesn't get enough airtime. Um, and, and I'll tell you from my perspective, I see alcohol abuse as a symptom. It's a symptom of an issue that's not being addressed or treated a problem that's not being treated. Likely that problem is PTSD. Although it could be just a horrible call that they're having a hard time stabilizing from. And so they come home and they drink a whole bunch of, of alcohol to feel better. Um, and so from the lens of the spouse, I, I see, and I know how painful and how difficult and how challenging that is for the spouse. And that spouse still has choices. They still have boundaries that they can put down and keep. Um, there's still a team conversation to be had, not you have a problem and you need to go fix yourself. We are having a problem in our relationship. I'm seeing a big contributor to that is, is your alcohol use. I'm wondering how I can help you with that. Um, I'm wondering how we can approach this together and, and get some help for this. Cause this is the way we're going is not sustainable. You know, we get in fights and arguments every time you've been drinking and, and I love you and I love our relationship and I want to see us do better here. Something's going on. What is it and how can we fix it? And I get it. The first reaction is be nothing. Get off my back. Don't bother me. You don't understand, or it's not that big of a deal. I get it. I get it. Cause the first, the first symptom is denial, right? They don't even know they're lying. Sure. Right. Don't even know all I'm the lying. alcohol excuses. Sure. Sure. And I don't, I don't, I don't. I hate to, to label it as an excuse. I think it's a blind spot. And it also may be, I'm not ready to confront. Because uh, I remember in my own experience, personally, I was not ready to confront the thing I was running from. Yeah. Wasn't ready. Yeah. Right? And so timing is a big one, too. I love how you're framing the conversation to we instead of you. I mean, I caught it just listening to it. I mean, it resonated with me. How can we tackle this? How can we do this together? How can that subtle verbiage change changes a lot just from we to you. You have a problem. No, we have a problem. How do we, how do we tackle that? So, yeah, I, absolutely. And I don't know, I don't want to dismiss the sex piece. I mean, this is a valuable piece of the conversation. The, um, the I mean, there's a, a dozen different roads we can go down here, but the reality is this is a difficult topic to talk about. And, but it is, it is necessary to the intimacy of a relationship. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. 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 And I, I don't, I don't know why it is such a difficult conversation, I guess, cause we've just sort of seen it as a, a private matter. You know, we don't talk about that. We don't touch on that, but 
I mean, when it comes to, to therapy, like that is, that's one of the first questions I ask. And most couples are taken aback. Like, did she just really ask us how much we're having sex? Yeah, I really did. Cause that's important to talk about in a relationship. And there's no, um, here's, here's a, an important, um, I think disclaimer that everybody needs to hear about sex. There is no rule that says how much, how often, what type. There's no rule book. Let me just dispel that myth. There is no rule book of normal. There's no such thing, right? This is, that's the most common question. Oh, what's normal? How much should we be having sex? You know, is it normal if we do this or that? Oh, that's, that's sure. Normal is a setting on a washing machine. Right? Yep, love that one. Yep. <laughs> It's been a while since I've heard that. I I just got reminded how awesome that statement is. Right, right. So, you know, the sex conversation is important because it's vital to a healthy relationship. Now, if they're if they are in a sexless marriage, I've I don't think I've seen many of those, maybe any at all. But if that's their choice and they are happy with that, more power to you. That's fantastic. Mm Let me touch on polyamory for a minute or an open relationship. If that is working for you, I have no judgment, zero. And I'm happy to help you in whatever challenges are coming from that, which they do have a lot of challenges coming from that. Um, But again, sort of of dispel that normal myth. There's no such thing as normal. So if once a week is working for you, fantastic. Here's a problem with... um, amount of sex, typically one person in the relationship is satisfied and the other is not. So you have to find a negotiable number. What is that number or what is that um, conversation piece? Like, hey, I know, you know, it's Tuesday night and it's our night, but I'm not feeling it. Is that okay? You know, can we skip it for tonight? Um, And here's the other thing. If one partner says no, the answer is no, right? There's no negotiating there. If one says no, it's, it's no. That's a very powerful statement because that's, that needs to be said, right? Unfortunately, yeah, it, does. it like really there, does. It seems like sometimes relationships are open for negotiation in that factor. It's, it's not, that's not negotiation. Right? But is there any truth mm-hmm. to, um, the, the saying of the, the spouse version of the emotional connection leads to sex and mm. for the, well, not all, um, this is an assumption that's the first responders male, but the sex leads to the emotional connection, the, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. kind of the opposite. Is there any, is there mm-hmm. any realism to that? There is a bit of a pattern. So for women, sex is much more emotional. It's much more of an emotional connection. They need to have an emotional connection to have sex. For men, having sex leads to the emotional connection in general. You know, certainly not all. It's not a hard and fast rule. It's not every single woman, every single man, but for the most part, because our brains are just wired a little bit differently. And so, but I think first things first is there has to be a conversation within the couple to determine what's going to work for me and what's going to work for you. What if they're miles apart, you know, and she's like, you know, once a year I'm comfortable with that. And he's like, uh, I was thinking once a day, like that's more comfortable for me. All right. Can we meet in the middle somewhere? You know, and there's a negotiation, right? It happens in the front, not like 
right now. Like we're not having a negotiation right now, but let's talk about it ahead of time. What's going to work for, for our relationship? There are 365 of those in the year. So rationally <laughs> right. it works out to we're doing 365 mm-hmm. in a year. Yeah. That's your year. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> so for the, uh, I mean, the reality is you've got an asshole coming home through the door yeah. and his, if it's, you know, male expectation of mm-hmm. let's have sex. I know I'm an asshole, but I need sex. Right. And good luck with that. Right? That ain't going to happen. <laughs> right. And for the spouse is like, you're out of your mind. Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah. Right? You're a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. Having for her, if you want sex with her tonight, you better have thought about it this morning and started setting that up. Right. 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 And, and serving her. Yeah, I know I'm being so, it feels very chauvinistic, but I'm t- giving you some tools, men. Like right. Men, you need some tools. We're picking on both sides here. And we we're, are. And we're trying to advocate for both sides. I mean, this is honestly, this isn't one absolutely. or the other. This is, this is, this is a real conversation yes. about some difficult yeah. things. Cause here's the thing, even in relationships that are maybe not going to work long term, maybe they're recognizing like, Oh, we're probably headed to divorce. It's looking like we're not going to invest in this relationship for the next 50 years. There still can help be a healthy sex life. And there still can be a sex life um, that had been negotiated ahead of time, let's say, right, of, you know, that's just sort of our standard. It's three times a week and whether we like it or not, because it's part of a healthy relationship. That is the base, the, the very foundation of a healthy relationship is the sex part. Again, for those that have sex in their marriage. Um, it has to be. You don't negotiate on whether or not you're going to brush your teeth every day, right? Or shower every day, right? Or mow the lawn, right? There's I brushed no- this morning. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, me too, right? <laughs> but there isn't like, uh, you know, I'm thinking maybe just once a month is healthy enough for my teeth. No, it's really not. Once a month is not healthy for your teeth, right? Yeah. So once a month sex is probably not healthy for your relationship. Again, if one of you is unhappy with that number, if you're both happy with that, fantastic, more power to you. But also to that, that front end communication, it's like have the conversation about if, if the quantity is an issue, have that conversation before you're just angry at your spouse, male or female, you know, it's been two months. What the fuck is, is not an appropriate no. conversation. It's not a good lead in. Yeah. No, yeah, it's not a, not a good lead in. <laughs> yeah. And but that happens a lot. Oh, right? all the it's time. all it's the blow up moment yeah. instead of so we're we're headed yeah. all the way back yeah. to the beginning of the podcast of communication. Right. Expectations. Right. right. Some of these basic like thought processes yeah. that are actually like when you think about them, they seem simple, but they're just not. And you know what resentments are? Unexpressed expectations. Mm-hmm. You have a resentment because you didn't tell me what your expectation was. Or you didn't communicate it. On both sides. Absolutely. 100%. Right. right. And mm-hmm. sex has to be a part of that conversation. Absolutely. Dina, this has been an absolutely delight to have you on and uh, talk about this. Um, if Let's give you the opportunity to talk a little mm-hmm. bit about what you do and mm-hmm. tell the listeners if they want to get a hold of you, mm-hmm. uh, where do they mm-hmm. find you, mm-hmm. if they want to dive into... Uh, some of the good work that you do. Uh, how yeah, would somebody sure. find Dina Kale? So um, my my website is aboveboardconsulting.com. 
If you are on the gram, Instagram, I'm cop shrink on there. I try to put out valuable content, things that would be useful to you right now. You're getting a lot of vacation pictures, a lot of AK pictures. <laughs> I did connect with you on the gram and your pictures of down here at Oceanside have been amazing. Those are actually good too, because it's telling people to go take a vacation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Go have a good oh, time. Enjoy yeah. your life a little bit. Yeah. So those are just as valuable as some of <laughs> okay, these good. relationship yeah. tips. Good. Yeah, yeah. I felt, I felt called to, um, put a post about taking a vacation, like scheduling it in because I just wanted to share, look, I've been looking forward to this vacation for six months. And because I scheduled it six months ago, it was a non-negotiable, like this is going to happen and I'm going to protect it on my calendar. Same with sex and date nights, by the way, put it on your calendar, protect it. Um, so they can find me at my website, find me on the gram. Um, I, you can even email me. It's my first and last name at Gmail, Dina kill at Gmail. Um, I uh, teach quite a bit. I travel for critical incident stress management and I provide therapy and coaching. So if you work for an agency that is contracted with the Counseling Team International, you can reach me through there. Um, Your agency pays for you to see me or any one of our amazing culturally competent therapists at the Counseling Team. Um, Octave is another way someone can get to me if they have insurance maybe they you know don't work for an agency uh that contracts with the counseling team or they don't work for an agency um um, or don't have that benefit Um, octave uh, dot com is a great way to utilize your insurance and you can get to me that way too um yeah i'm certainly reaching out first through my email or or website well dina this has been a delight austin we've had another great podcast experience while we're out here in California and uh yeah. this has been this has been really a joy to to bring another relationship podcast cuz we've been we've been missing so thank you so much for giving us this opportunity and thank you for letting us into your vacation home and your vacation time uh this is this has been awesome it's thank been you it's been an honor thanks for having me Chateau Recovery is a 16-bed treatment facility nestled in the foothills of the Wasatch Mountains in Midway, Utah. Chateau's First Responder Resiliency Program is designed to treat the unique challenges and issues that first responders encounter in the course of their careers. Chateau's comprehensive and highly individualized approach to treatment addresses more than just the presenting issues. It addresses the why. Each of their seasoned, trauma-trained, and culturally competent therapists utilize evidence-based, specialized therapies to treat trauma at its core and enable clients to begin the healing process while developing a resilient and healthy relationship with stress. Chateau Recovery is trusted by departments and agencies from around the country to treat responders and veterans. In fact, it is one of only a handful of facilities nationwide that is vetted and approved to treat members of the Fraternal Order of Police. For more information or to speak to a representative, go to chateaurecovery.com or call 888-507-5031. No One Fights Alone is also sponsored by First Responder Trauma Counselors. First Responder Trauma Counselors are subject matter experts in proactive behavioral health care for frontline workers through their National Care Support Academy. This 40-hour all-badges, all-uniforms, and all-scrubs educational experience helps to create caring, honest, and empathetic peer support relationships with your fellow frontline workers. The FRTC National Peer Support Academy is taught by actual first responders who have gone back to school to become culturally competent 
licensed behavioral health clinicians that teach from lived experiences, not just theories from books. This fast-paced, immersive educational academy will not just change your life, it will help you save the lives of others. For additional details, visit 991overwatch.org or call 970-222-419-3. This could be the most life-changing academy you'll ever attend.